This is Naomi and I'm here talking with Dave Bookless today and we're talking of course about climate change and really want to hone in on the mindset change that has to happen around climate change. So Dave, I don't know, it seems to me that maybe predominantly the circles that you move in, um, there might be a sort of preaching to the choir aspect of it, but I don't know how often do you actually run into people, Christian or non-Christian, who actually just don't believe in climate change um, or just don't see this as priority and if so, uh, how does that make you feel? Yeah, um, the answer is I do bump into people like that sometimes. Um, interestingly, I, I, I haven't bumped into a single person like that in the non-Western world. Uh, I haven't bumped into a single person in my many visits across Asia, Africa and South America who doesn't believe in climate change because they see the effects uh, on a, a daily and an annual basis. But I here in the UK, uh, much less in other parts of Europe, certainly in North America, somewhat in, in Australasia, there are Christian climate deniers and plenty of non-Christian climate deniers as well. Um, and it, it depends how the question is put or how the approach is made as, as to how I react. Um, if, if people are just coming at this in a straight, I don't want to believe this because it will affect me too much, there's very little you can do to argue people out of that, that situation. And, and sometimes that's very clearly the case, that people just feel so threatened by the overwhelming scientific evidence. Um, they feel that this threatens their worldview. They feel that this threatens their uh, sense of, of how things need to be politically and economically. Um, it, it's very hard to actually change the minds of people who are absolutely fixed on something and are not willing to be persuaded and in the end you simply have to not try and get into too much discussion because it just quickly becomes circular um, people will just quote sources that actually don't stack up but they will keep quoting them um, you in the end have to just pray for those people and go your separate ways um, but there are people who are confused by it who are confused by the contradictory things that the media say particularly, contradictory things that they may have heard, um, and who are genuinely open to to having their, their minds changed and who really want to know uh, what to think about this. And there, there is a real opportunity. Uh, there's an opportunity to patiently go through the evidence um, in terms of the global scientific consensus, the fact that every single um, scientific academy from China to Russia to India to North America and Europe um, which are of totally different ideological, political, religious convictions, all are unanimous on climate change, the fact it's happening, the fact we need to do something about it. Um, but people do get confused when they read certain newspapers um, that, that love to drag out uh, a few dyed-in-the-wool, often paid by oil company, climate sceptics. Um, so it's important to, to actually just outline the evidence for people and then I also find there are a small minority of people who have, if you like, theological questions about this, um, who approach it more from the angle of, well, surely our job is to preach the gospel, uh, to get people saved, not to worry about what's happening to the planet. Um, and I guess I feel on, on much uh, safer ground discussing those issues because I'm a theologian more than I am a scientist. Um, and there it's, it's actually pretty easy to go back to the scriptures and to look at God's purposes and to see how we as human beings fit in to God's purposes for the whole creation. Um, how Jesus never preached a gospel that was simply about saving souls. He preached the good news of the kingdom of God, 
which is about God's rule on earth as in heaven and in every sphere of life um, and you know to put it in a sentence as, as I often do to, to get people thinking if we say Jesus is Lord then that means that Jesus must be Lord of the whole of creation um, and Lord in terms of our attitudes towards the climate towards our lifestyles towards the economic systems that we have and if we don't allow the Lordship of Jesus Christ into those areas then are we really being his disciples so have you, ever, have you ever seen it happen kind of before your eyes that sort of a light goes on for somebody or or a church or some kind of conversion-like experience where they just sort of get it? Have you ever seen that actually happen? Frequently. And and that's, that, that's in a sense, what keeps me going more than anything else. There is nothing more exciting um, than seeing... And sometimes you can almost visibly see the scales drop from people's eyes. You can, you know, if you catch people's eyes during a talk and you can see things the, the cogs turning you can see it clicking and people beginning to get excited and I I find it's particularly as you tell the Bible's big story um, of God's purposes from creation to new creation and people understand how the gospel that they've always believed is actually still true but it's part of a much bigger gospel that they've maybe not really understood of God's purposes for the whole of creation and it's not a case of throwing out the the gospel of 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 salvation from sin but it's a case of recognizing that the lordship of jesus the good news of jesus is about the whole of creation uh, and actually that makes it so much more relevant and this is what happened to me you know i, I went it pretty much in an instant from from thinking that that the gospel was simply about saving souls to recognizing that it involved the whole of life and it involved the whole of creation uh, and I've often used the illustration of, of those kind of, you know, when you have all the dominoes lined up and you, all you have to do is knock over the first one and then you just watch the ripples go out as the dominoes fall. And it's kind of been like that for the last 25 years for me, as in different areas of my life, God has just knocked over a domino and the implications have, have followed one after the other from that um, in terms of my attitudes and in terms of my lifestyle. So, um, from your perspective, because you've spoken in a lot of places, you've been in a lot of contexts, what's the prime, I mean, when we talk about mindset change, what is it that does it? What's the kind of prime motivator? Is it scaring people about the future? Is it them thinking about their children? Is it you sharing your story? What is it that gets people most often? Or is it different in every... It, it does vary from situation to situation. In my experience, though, it's never about fear. Um, and it's never about scaring people. It's it's always um, more positive than that. And I guess the examples I've seen most are for some people, it's really about getting a vision of what the Bible actually says. You know, it might be looking at the story of Noah and realizing, gosh, that's not just a story about God saving people. It's a story about God saving all the creatures, all the species, and about God having a covenant with every living creature upon the earth. And that ideological change, just by looking again at scripture in a new way, or, or looking at John 3.16 and, and noticing that it says God so loved the world, and in the Greek it's the word cosmos. Um, those biblical things can be what change people. Um, but for other people it's, it's different, and it's often um, when they hear a story or actually experience a situation where they see what this can mean in practice. Um, and one of the 
one of the stories I often share um, is of a, an evangelist, uh, quite a, a senior evangelist, he's now died, um, but who'd spent decades just preaching repentance and salvation for individuals and nothing more than that. And then he began to get the theology of this. And from that point on, he, under, he insisted that every mission he conducted, that the churches in preparing for that mission should get involved in being good news in their local community, good news for the poor and the needy, but also good news for creation in their local community as part of the preparation for him to come and, and preach. And he, he came out with this, this short statement that when Christians take the earth seriously, people take the gospel seriously. That when Christians actually care for creation, people are attracted to Jesus because they recognize it, it all adds up and it all fits together. And I find that story um, will, will connect with some people. For other people, it might be something as simple as, uh, as learning to grow food. Um, you know, for the first time planting a seed and waiting for it to, to come to, to, to fruition and learning to remove the weeds and to look after it and nurture it. And then recognizing that that very simple, basic human action that billions of people do every day links fundamentally with the stories that Jesus told, so many of which were about growing food and about our dependence on the earth for food. And that actually that somehow at a very deep level links to the truths of the gospel about the, the seed that God plants in our hearts and how we need to look after that. And that actually those things, it wasn't just an illustration that Jesus chose. It's something fundamental about the gospel, that it links to our earthedness, it links to our createdness and our dependence on food. So it can be it can be a whole lot of different things, but it's it's often either the, the biblical stuff or it's the stories that people can identify with that make make the make them able to visualize what this means. So once somebody sort of gets it or gets excited about caring for the whole planet, um how how does somebody perhaps I mean I think probably most people who would listen to something like this if it were broadcast would probably be convinced how do we sustain the that kind of enthusiasm um in the face of things that would block that yeah um I th that's a really good question and and one of the things I encounter so often is people who are convinced about this but who are in a very lonely situation maybe they're in a church where the preaching and and their fellow church members don't share the same w vision um and what i'd say is is you you need to find others who share the vision um you you it's much much harder doing it alone um I mean, it's true of christian faith in general we're, we're meant to share our faith we're meant to be in community we're meant to be in churches and in terms of caring for creation i think it's it's far best better if you can find people who actually share that passion and want to do something about it who you can encourage each other you can share your own stories and your own frustrations together and that might mean that if you're in a church where nobody else shares that that you try and find a group of people from other churches where you can work together on this um, I'm not going to say leave your church <laughs> transform your church but you may need the encouragement of others from other churches to help you do that um, yeah, so I, I think doing it with other people is, is absolutely key. From your perspective, getting involved in mitigating climate change, um, is it about doing things or is it about not doing things? Is it about stopping mm. some of our practices or is it more about doing things or is it a mixture or 
I yeah. think that's probably the easiest way to answer is that it's a mixture. But I think from your perspective... It is, it is both. Um, I think... Yeah, and I, 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 it, it, it's very much both. What I think, to me, the absolutely key thing is whether it's stopping doing things or whether it's doing things, it's about our motivation. Um, it's quite easy for tackling climate change or for trying to change your lifestyle to become like a new list of commandments. You know, thou shalt do thy recycling, thou shalt walk or cycle instead of driving, thou shalt change thy electricity supplier, and so on and so on and so on. Um, and those are all good things to do, but if they become a new list of pharisaical requirements, a new kind of eco-pharisee, um, then, then actually they stop being part of the gospel, they stop being part of the good news. So the, the key thing, and what I nearly always close a talk by doing, is actually saying my job is not to tell you what to do next. I can give you a list of possibilities, but my job is to say pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you where God wants you to start. Um, so it, it should flow from your relationship with God and it should be about worship. So if I do, if, if I start recycling when I didn't previously, I shouldn't be doing that because I feel I ought to because that will just turn into a, a chore and, and something that's that's unpleasant to do, but you feel you ought to. If I do it out of worship, and if I start thinking, I am showing that Jesus is Lord by bothering to sort these things out and put them in the right containers. I am showing that Jesus is Lord by choosing to hang out my washing on the line uh, rather than just throwing it all in the dryer. Um, I am, it's part of my worship to get on my bike uh, and cycle to that meeting rather than just get out the car because it's a bit cold today. Um, and and if, if we really turn it into worship, it absolutely transforms how we do it, whether it's stopping something or taking something up. Um, I, think, I, I personally think that's the key. So kind of a frank question. And so there are about 750 churches in the UK that have become eco-churches. Right? Yeah. And we've talked about the difference that, that Christians can make and how, um, how the environment should be part of our mission. If, if let's say, every every church in the UK or even take it more globally became for example an, an eco church how much of a difference would that really make it would be phenomenal I mean there are about 50,000 churches in the UK um, and we are as the church we are the only organization that is in every community in the country um, globally the Christian church is the only organization that has the world's poorest the world's richest those with no power, those with lots of power, those in communist, capitalist and everything in between regimes, um, in every culture, in every language region, in every country around the world. Um, you know, the Bible says that, that the church is God's hope. Um, we are the body of Christ on earth. Uh, and there's an amazing verse in, in Romans 8 um, that says creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. The whole creation is waiting for the children of God, and that's the church, to be revealed. And if that's true, then the solution to the environmental crisis, um, it may include UN treaties, it may include good policies and lifestyle changes, but ultimately God's solution to the environmental crisis is the church waking up. So both theologically and practically, I really 
have enormous hope um, that if God's church really begins to, to catch a vision of caring for creation as part of mission, uh, it could change things around the world. So when you go into a church now and you see, say, plastic cups being mm -hmm. used, do you say anything? Do you raise it? What do you do? It wouldn't be where I'd start. Um, I'd certainly notice it and it would grate. Um, but yeah, again, if, if I start by saying you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing that, then it just, again, becomes a negative list of do's and don'ts. People have to catch a positive vision of why this matters and then the practice will follow from that. Um, so if we take, you know, I go to a very multicultural urban church in London um, and I've preached on this over the years, off and on. I try to do less of that these days. I try and encourage other people to preach on it instead. Um, but I've not deliberately not led the church by saying we should stop doing that. We should stop doing that. What I find is if you preach the word and you show that it has practical implications, people will begin to internalize that and then people will begin to come back and say, well, surely that means we should be stopping this. Surely that means we should be starting to do that. Uh, and that's the most exciting thing, so that the actual practical outcomes come from people who've really internalised this and thought about it, rather than you having to just nag at people and say, stop doing that, stop doing the other. Um, we can remind people, um, you know, I, I definitely believe about believe in nudging, um, so, you know, we can we can put signs up around if, if you've got a church where people tend to leave the lights on, um, then we can put signs up to say, please turn the light off um, when you leave the room. Um, but, but I think nagging rarely actually gets a positive response. Whereas if people catch a vision, then, then they'll respond with practical action. If you had an audience, say with the current president of the US who has pulled America out of the um, Paris Climate Accords uh, and you maybe had a couple minutes, what would you say? That's a really hard one. Um, I think I would probably challenge him as a, a father and a grandfather and say, what kind of world do you want to leave to your children? Not how much money, um, but what kind of world do you want to leave behind? He seems to genuinely care about his family. So rather than anything else, I think I would probably challenge him about the, the kind of world he wants to leave behind. I would challenge him about what kind of reputation he wants to leave behind in the long term. Does he really want to be seen as the person who led to the deaths of millions of people um, who led to terrible terrible things happening around the world because he didn't want to accept what his own scientists were telling him about what's happening to to god's creation when i think about the climate what keeps me up at night is increasing lack of water yeah. what what do you find makes you the most anxious um i think i think water is is a big issue and particularly in some of the world's biggest cities um but actually the thing that upsets me the most is um the increasing rate of extinction of our fellow creatures of species that god has made each species that god has created tells us something unique about god's character and every time we drive a species to unnecessary extinction, we are rubbing out something of God's fingerprints in this world. Um, to me, it's, it's a blasphemy 
um, therefore that we destroy creatures that God has made that God called very good he said all that he has made is very good that God cared about enough to include on the ark so to me it's it's the extinction of species through human behavior um, that is is the thing that upsets me most and then the converse side of that question what's what gives you actual hope in your context I think slightly repeating myself but I think what gives me greatest hope is is when I see people change um, when I see uh, people change in their thinking and when I see people change in their behavior um, and when I see and and I'm seeing this more in the um, non-western world in the majority world than I am in the west where I see churches genuinely integrating caring for creation thinking about land and soil and water and wood and and all of those things as part of their discipleship um, so if if you like I mean it, you know the, the the world church is growing fastest in in Africa and Asia and and Central America Latin America and it's in those areas that I see the greatest hope in terms of of how we're tackling the environmental crisis as well um, because Christians there really seem to get it and Christians seem to to take action quickly do you have an um, example, maybe that you could share? Um, yeah, okay. Um, it, it, I mean, there are, there are numerous examples, but but um, tree planting amongst churches in Africa would be would be one very obvious example where many churches um, across um, East Africa, I know particularly, um, are really taking up tree planting as an expression of their faith. And so you're encouraged now, for instance, whenever you bring a child for baptism, plant a tree. Whenever you come for confirmation plant a tree when a couple get married each gift should include planting a tree um, when somebody dies plant trees um, and and to if you almost to turn the liturgies and to turn the uh, the life events into opportunities for planting trees so that's that's one small example there's another program in Africa called farming God's way um, which is I think a wonderful good news story which is is reintroducing a form of of conservation agriculture where people don't put artificial fertilizers and pesticides onto the soil instead people um, use mulch what they call god's blanket um, to to keep the moisture in the soil so you don't need lots of rain and so plants grow well and you know to hear stories where land that was producing a certain amount is now producing five or six times as much through farming god's way those are really good news stories because that isn't by intensified agriculture that's just by people working smartly and hard and in a godly way um, and it works so, and it works absolutely so those those are wonderful stories you've been um connected to church mission society as a mission partner for 17 years yep. so i'm curious what what does that connection to cms mean to you it means a lot. I mean, some of, some of those who support us financially and in prayer have come um, purely because of our connection with CMS, that they've been lifelong CMS supporters. CMS is a, is a mission with a wonderful, um, long, long history um, in appropriate mission around the world and particularly in, in the, in the non-Western world. Um, and if people can identify creation care as part of that long history of, of, of good appropriate Christian mission then that really helps our job as kind of the new kids in Arusha um, enormously um, and I love the five marks of mission that the Anglican Communion has adopted 
um, which are in essence um, evangelism, making disciples, um, relief and development, justice and creation care. And CMS is fully behind those five marks of mission. It has an, an integrated understanding of mission, which I'm passionate about. Jenny, did you have any questions? Um, I think can we, just one question I had was around, we've talked a lot about changing mindset, specifically about climate change, about the environment in particular. Do you think um, that that's the main focus? Or do you think for the church in the West particularly, where we might be a bit more disconnected from our food chains, from the impacts of climate change, that there's actually a challenge around a bigger mindset change with regards to our consumption yeah. and our approach yeah. both to church and to, yeah. to our world? Uh, absolutely. Um, wh- one of the questions that, that I, I do hear in the UK fairly regularly when I speak on these issues is, well, surely the problem is population growth and it's all these countries in Africa and elsewhere that have massive population growth that is causing the problem. And I always turn that question on its head and say, population growth is an issue. We had our population explosion centuries ago. Other countries are going through theirs now. And there are ways of tackling that. But a far bigger issue than population growth is consumption growth. And that's the issue that we have to face. The fact is, it takes 16 babies born in sub-Saharan Africa to consume what one baby born here in the UK will consume in a year. And given expected average lifespans a child born in the west will consume about 30 times as much in their lifetime as a child born in sub-saharan africa so the issue of consumption is our big issue Um, and jesus had more to say about the dangers of loving money and things too much um, than he did than he had to say about heaven and hell salvation and sin uh, and almost any other subject Um, So this is the big issue that we in the Western Church have been dodging and avoiding for far too long. Um, And if you ask me the number one reason why the church in Western countries is by and large declining, I think it's because our lifestyles are just like anybody else's. Nobody can tell that we're Christians by the way we live. Um, I think we need to radically re-examine and be challenged uh, about our lifestyles, our consumption and what we really put our faith in. Do we really put our faith in Jesus or do we really put our faith in our bank balances, in our nice houses, our insurance policies, our pensions uh, and all that kind of stuff? Um, and I think that's, that's the big challenge for the church in the West. At its biggest, mission is all that God calls us to do in the whole of God's world. Um, so it involves the whole of creation. And if you want to translate that into some specifics... Um, Mission is walking around the supermarket, imagining that Jesus is standing next to you and asking, what would Jesus buy and why? Mission is choosing not to fill your wardrobe with disposable clothing, but actually choosing to live with a smaller but more sensible wardrobe. Mission is uh, getting on your bike. Uh, rather than driving the car. Uh, Not for everyone, but for those who can. Um, Mission is going for a walk down by the river or the canal and enjoying the beauty of God's creation and the fact that the goodness and the love of God screams out from every tree and flower and bird and sunset and that creation is God's most 
powerful evangelist. 